keeps it thriving, don't sleep on their funky grooves and late night rap beats. 88.3 keeps giving music lovers what we need. From hippies to hip-hop heads, the essence of the city isn't dead. If you listen to the station, you'll receive an alternative education. When you feel like lame tunes have got you in a chokehold, turn on 88.3, giving vocals back to the locals. W to the C, don't forget the B and you better listen to this even when you're taking BMs. They make sure they keep the beats coming. Dial 763 to the 3500. WCBM, FM, Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel today. I'm so pleased to have in the studio with me Claire Vey Watkins. Claire, welcome. Hello. Happy to be here. It's great to see you um, on this sunny day. Um, oh, lovely, lovely day, isn't it? Fall. It feels like fall. Mm-hmm. Right? Finally. Coming yeah, finally. I think it officially is. I think today's the first day. Maybe yesterday. By the calendar, right? By the calendar, or by the moon? By the the heart, (laughs) by the heart, the feel. Yes, (laughs) the rhythm within us Mm -hmm. all. There was the blood moon and then the uh, chill. We all got to wear scarves today, so. Yeah, and also, I think it's been sort of, it's been messing with my sleep a bit. I don't know Mm -hmm. what's maybe the the pull of the moon. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) But before we go any further, uh, Claire Vey Watkins is here today for the book launch, Gold Fame Citrus, um, tonight at Literati, 7 p.m. So everyone, you can uh, turn your steering wheels <laughs> towards Washington Street, um, and Claire will be there. You'll be reading tonight, and will there be a Q&A and signing, Claire? There will be a signing, but no Q&A, because I don't want to have to endure the moment at the Q&A when... When you can, the author standing up there and they're so needy and you can tell they need the questions, you know, so I figured it's my, it's my party. We don't have to do a Q&A if I don't want to. That's right. That's right. And so this is, is this your official book launch? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Hometown book launch in Ann Arbor. And you guys just, you and Derek just moved here mm-hmm. this June? Yeah, with our little kiddo. We have a one-year-old daughter. So, um, yeah, we um, rolled into town in June, bought a house on the west side. So, you know, we're here for good. But welcome. Thank you. And welcome to campus, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what brought you here, Claire? So I got this great gig teaching in the English department in the Helen Zell Writers Program. So I'm teaching fiction workshop and um, teaching great undergrad workshops. And um, so, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what brought me here. Wonderful. And this is your this is your debut novel. 
mm-hmm. Gold Fame Citrus, and you also had a you have a collection. Yeah, I've I've debuted twice. I don't know how that works, but I had a debut short story collection and a a debut novel. It's kind of like you know they we say about writers they're emerging writers, right? Like an emerging, a new, exciting emerging writer. I feel like you have merged though. You, you have you? to wonder like I, it, it makes you sort of feel like you're stuck in the birth canal for a few yeah. years there. You know, I'm still emerging. <laughs> Or like a dragonfly or something like emerging. Yeah, a a little um, egg hatching, cracking, tapping on the eggshell. Well, folks, everyone out there, I am a witness. Claire Vay Watkins, you you have emerged. emerged. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) On the first day of fall, that must be in my um, reproductive cycle or something, emerges on the first day of fall. Ah, that's right. <laughs> Which kind of connects to one of the chapters in your book, if you were in a field guide. Oh, right. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the chapters in the book is like a, um, my favorite way it's been described so far is it's a bestiary, sort of a um, field guide to all of the new um, animals and creatures and insects and things that that have evolved for this new um, sand dune sea that takes over Southern California. And how fun was it to do this, this part to, to use actual like the graph, depart from mm-hmm. the, the clean white page and have graph paper pages and pictures. Oh, drawings. yeah, it was great. It was it was wonderful. I didn't do the drawings because I, I can't, I can't draw at all. So, but um making the animals up was you know it's funny with this book I I always tell my students to if they're having trouble one day writing give themselves a little project you know just a a fun thing to do right but that's also like Ray and Luth yeah right exactly a project (laughs) Uh project. yeah Yeah. (laughs) yes yes um so that was one of the fun projects was like I don't really know what I'm supposed to be writing today maybe I feel a little blue or whatever but I'll just what if I just make up some animals all day? And uh, th- this usually you throw away those projects. But in this one, I kept them all. I kept all my weird little detours and digressions and um, exercises and things. And I just decided that it would be a really, you know, weird book because I was keeping all the weird stuff in. And is it something, maybe it was something about the, the scope of the possibility of the novel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Where you could do that, or I think so. You... Yeah, I mean, I this is the first novel I ever even tried, and for a while I was kind of coming at it with a short story writer's mentality, which was um, has a lot to do with discipline and control and making sure everything's very tight, very precise. Um, it's a very unforgiving form, the short story. And then so I would take a run at this novel. Um, for about a year, I just kept rewriting the first two chapters, and they they had no give. They, were no, they weren't, like, fertile. They were just done. And it was, you know, 40 pages, and that's a very, very short novel. It wasn't going to work. So eventually... <laughs> kind of a yeah. long... Short story. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a very. It's not a novella exactly, yet, right? Not it even was, a novella. Yeah. No, it would be a very generous publisher who's like, yeah, sure. I think maybe Dennis Johnson can get away with that, but not not me. Now he's emerged. See, once you've emerged, then it's all uh, oh, that's you can do anything <laughs> exactly. and call it anything, uh-huh. right? That's why it takes so long with so much energy to do. Yeah. Well, then what's going to happen for your next project? 
because having emerged now, <laughs> well, yeah, I'm already Look stretched out the bounds. Right, <laughs> right, right. Maybe I'll just write a really conventional, like orthodox, um, straight-laced piece of, of fiction with my newfound freedom. Maybe some sort of historical romance. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Or not. Or not. <laughs> or not. I don't know. No, I'm down with that. I, I, I don't have a like particular aesthetic camp that I. Uh, you know, hail allegiance to or anything. I, I'm pretty a pretty omnivorous reader. So, yeah. So that would transfer to your writing and right. how you think and mm-hmm. imagine. Yeah, so going back to the novel, you know, making the transition from stories to the novel, I really didn't hit my stride until I realized that the novel was much more forgiving as a form. Like, it would be okay if I had a chapter that was all about the Mormon exodus or a chapter that was all about um, these new bizarre creatures or a chapter from the point of view of the sand dune itself or whatever it is, you know, it was just like, that's okay. It was sort of an exercise in self-love. Like you're okay. It's all right. All is welcome here in the novel. And did you have what inspirations for that? Like, cause you mentioned you're an omnivorous reading reader. Mm -hmm. So was it something where, because you mentioned Dennis Johnson earlier. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I remember after reading Jesus' Son, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I can I can see a way into mm-hmm. a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some books really do sort of like explode your world like that, right? One for me, and this book was um, The Quick and the Dead by Joy Williams. Yeah. Um, that That book was really... I mean, for one, it was like the first time that I'd ever really read about the desert in in the way that I wanted to be writing about the desert. You know, there's this, I think in the early chapters of that book, there's a, an image of this styrofoam cup and it's sort of blowing through the air and then it gets like whipped into a cactus and it's like impaled on the cactus tine. <laughs> so violent. Exactly, but so funny and <laughs> so like grim, you know, it's not like the sweeping shots of Monument Valley and the beautiful, you know, sunset colors and riding off into the distance. You know, it was, it was, it looked like the place I grew up basically. And so I was like, oh, that's how you do it. You know? So yeah, that book and then Joan Didion, both of Joan Didion's novels, Run River and um, Play It As It Lays were, were big. There's a little winks here and there to, to those books in this one too. I wonder, you, you were born in California mm-hmm. and then raised in, well, you moved towards the desert then, which you just mm-hmm. mentioned, mm-hmm. first in California and then crossing the border to right. ne- the Nevada part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was actually born in the Owens Valley, which I don't know how much you know about California. It's a very, mm-hmm. it's a very um, underknown part of California. So the Owens Valley is on the eastern part of the Sierras, basically... Oh. Right before you get to Death Valley, there's the Owens Valley. And it's the part of California that was, um, there used to be a big, humongous lake there, Owens Lake. And um, Owens Lake was drained in the 1920s when the Los Angeles aqueduct system was up and running. So you've seen the movie Chinatown, maybe? Yes. Yeah. Or maybe even read Joan Didion's mm-hmm. Water essay. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Or John McPhee talks about it, too. Um yeah, it's it's sort of uh, definitely a big part of like the because it's crazy exactly yeah, and it's so like this why whole, drain the lake mm-hmm. and take it from right. one yeah, yeah, people? Yeah. I think yeah. the best the best uh, the best book that goes into this is Cadillac Desert by Mark Reisner. Um, 
it's a nonfiction book and it's just I think it's like 20 years old now but it could you it should be mandatory reading for everybody everywhere I think why well um it's about the water you sound wars. Like, yeah, um, <laughs> McKibben now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, In a great way. Thanks. Um, it so it's about the water wars in, that that this the aqueduct system and the draining of of Owens Lake, and about um, William Mulholland, who was the architect behind the the Los Angeles aqueduct system. But it, so it basically it seems like a really wonky book about engineering, but it. And it is in a wonderful way, but it's also just about like the contemporary manifestation of the myths of the American West, like particularly manifest destiny and the rugged individual and the way that basically the American West is kind of still buying its own BS that, I mean, manifest destiny was a lie when it was told, right? Um, the plow that broke the plains, like that's a lie, you know, like we have this idea of Mulholland. I think the epitaph on Mulholland's grave is um, he brought water to the thirsty earth or something and um because he took water exactly yeah well exactly everyone in the owens valley would say yeah he took it so and that's where you were born mm -hmm, right in bishop california Mm -hmm, in owens mm -hmm. valley yeah so all of us probably have water in california on our minds right now but um i grew up with it as kind of a bedtime story the this the story of of the first california water wars i hope we won't have another set but who knows and that's what it, i mean water is so important in in your novel gold fame citrus mm-hmm. yeah sure it's but, um Right, it, it, sort of the book's project is kind of to imagine the culmination of 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 drought in California and what what that would look like, you know, on a plot level. Like, well, what would you do? Where would you go? But also more on a level of, um, like, what would it do to our identity? You know, like uh, California is really like where our imagination is as a as a people. I think maybe it's just my own imagination. <laughs> Well, your work it seems to be connected. Yeah, mm-hmm. there, right. It's definitely where my stories come from. Is is, is the West and the desert, and so. But what is it about the uh, mm-hmm. the imagination and that yeah. environment? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I I've noticed, you know, now that California is struggling with water stuff, there seems to be two responses. One is really which I tend to do is, which is really like over romantic, which is kind of like, how can this happen in this Eden of a place? You know, like if our country was a Bible story, California would be the place you get to after you wander in the desert for 40 years. And I should know because I'm from the desert that you wander in from for 40 years. Right. Um, We have this kind of sense that like our, as a people, we culminated uh, in California, right? With like the Lewis and Clark expedition or the gold rush. It was just the, we were finally fully realized. That's what Manifest Destiny is all about. And I think we're still kind of telling ourselves that story. And at the same time, there's this other really puritanical impulse. I call it um, schadenfornia, which <laughs> is the special uh, the special satisfaction you get at the misfortune of Californians. It's almost like... The rest of the country saying like, well, that's what you get for living there. You never should have been there. We were never meant to 
be there. And that really ignores the fact that this, this is the people's home, you know. And people were born there. Mm-hmm. And right. people have found themselves there for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And this is where they live. Right, 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 right. So it's really not going to cut it just to say, well, shouldn't live in Phoenix. Shouldn't live in <laughs> Albuquerque, you know. <laughs> Let's take a short break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk more about this. And some of the shoulds. Too, okay. right? Great, great, great. Yeah. <laughs> Today on the program, Claire Bay Watkins is here. Her novel, her debut novel, Gold Fame Citrus, out with Riverhead Books. Thanks to Claire McGinnis. Hi, if you're listening out there, Claire. Hello, Claire. <laughs> and tonight, Claire Bay Watkins will be reading at Literati, 7 p.m. I'm T. Hetzel. We've got the Liz behind the glass. We'll be right back. <laughs> yourself by traveling out west or if you want to find somebody else that's better go ahead go ahead if you want to buy a brand new fancy automobile or if you want to build a place up in Coldwater Canyon go ahead If you're just joining us, I'm glad you did. Today on Living Writers, Claire Vey Watkins is here in the studio, and her book launch is moments away at Literati Bookstore, 124 Washington. It's going to be a potty, um, and there'll be some book signing happening. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some readings, some passages read aloud, um, and actually, we're we're pretty uh, we're pretty darn lucky because Claire, you're going to read something for us. Uh, Two, right? That's right. Absolutely. And and maybe before you do that, I realize I didn't read your bio. So I'm going to, the time-honored tradition of living writers reading the bio from the the dust jacket of the <laughs> Great. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Claire Bay Watkins is the author of Battleborn, which won the Story Prize, the New York Public Library Young Lions Award, rawr, and the Dylan Thomas Prize, and was named a Best Book of the Year by NPR, the Boston Globe, the San Francisco Chronicle, and more. She has been named at National Book Foundation 5 Under 35 and a Guggenheim Fellow and has received the American Academy of Arts and Letters Rosenthal Family Foundation Award. Her stories and essays have appeared in Granta, One Story, The Paris Review, Plowshares, Glimmer Train, and elsewhere. Watkins is an assistant professor at the University of Michigan, Go Blue, and co-director with her husband, the writer Derek Palacio. Um, Palacio. Palacio. Mm, the Spanish, not the Italian. <laughs> <laughs> Should have checked that earlier. <laughs> no, it, it happens all the Palacio time. Palacio <laughs> of the Mojave School, a creative writing workshop for teenagers in rural N- Nevada, which I also can't wait to hear about later in the program, Claire. Sure, yeah. yeah. But before we do that, let's hear some of, some of how your prose 
is on fire in gold fame and citrus. Okay. Wow. That with that intro, now I really wish I picked a hotter selection. <laughs> pun intended. Okay. Um, I think because there are some pretty hot sections. <laughs> right. Here. Right. There's yeah. some racy stuff, folks. Yeah, it does get a little bit. You know, when you're writing a novel, you're just kind of on your own for years and years, and sometimes <laughs> you get you have needs. That's all I'm saying. And this was four years in the making. This mm-hmm. novel was That's it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, four years. It's been. Well, I didn't let myself work on anything else, so let's just say I'm glad to be done with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe you, it seems like you might have needed that intensity for what this is. Yeah, well, it's, you know, unlike a short story, you can't hold a novel in your head all at once. So if I was going to do other projects, I would just, I, I think I'd, it just would have lost all momentum it had, you know. Anyway, um, should I read? Let's maybe yes! I'll read. Okay, yeah. great. So this is about a main character. His name is Ray. Um, And how he, this is kind of the story of how he, um, where he came from and how he ended up in Los Angeles. And it's also the story of what's going on in the book with all the water and all the sand. So Ray had the blazing prophet eyes of John Muir. And like John Muir, war had left him nerve shaken and lean as a crow. He said the ocean had restored him. The way he told it, a city of a ship bearing the emblem of the motherland deposited him in the riverless west at San Diego. He was released, honorable discharge, had medals somewhere. But the the whole way back, he'd been jumpy, sleepless, barely keeping the darkness at the edges. Nothing soothed, soothed him until he heard the white noise of the breakers. So instead of going home to the heartland, he liberated a surfboard from someone's backyard and made his home in the curl. He had a mind to surf through all crises and shortages and conflicts past and present. He would make a vacuum of the coast. Nothing could happen there, even the things that had happened before he was born. He was surfing the day they pronounced the Colorado dead, and he was surfing the day it was damned a hundred years before. When some omnipotent current ferried him northward toward L.A., he allowed it. He surfed as that city's aqueducts went dry. He surfed as she built new aqueducts, wider aqueducts, deeper aqueducts, aqueducts stretching to the watersheds of Ohio, excuse me, Idaho, Washington, Montana, aqueducts veining the west, half a million miles of half-pipe left of the 100th meridian. Ray surfed as concrete waterway crept up to Alaska, surfed as the Mojave and the Sonoran licked the bases of glaciers. He was surfing each time terrorists or visionaries bombed the massive unfilled aqueduct canals at Bend and Boise and Boulder and Eugene. He surfed as states sued states and as the courts shut down the ducks for good. He surfed as the Central Valley, America's fertile crescent, went salt flat, as its farm corpse regularly drilled 3,000 feet into the unyielding earth, praying for aquifer, but delivered nothing but hot brine. As Mohave sucked up the groundwater to Texas, as a major tendril of interstate collapsed into a mile-wide sinkhole, killing everybody on it. As all of the southwest went moonscape with sinkage, as the winds came, and as Phoenix burned, and as a white-hot super-dune entombed Las Vegas. Then, one day, 
Ray emerged from the thrashing oblivion of the Pacific at Point Doom, and there was a chicken-thin, gappy-toothed girl sitting in the sand beside a suitcase and a hat box, crying off all her eye makeup. And that's how he meets Luz, his beloved. Thanks for reading that, Claire. My pleasure. So I think, so everyone listening, you now you have a sense of sort of some things that are at stake in this novel, mm-hmm. too. I mean, that's intense. The description of the environment. It seems like this right. book can have many missions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is intense. But, you know, I, maybe it's that I have a really dark sense of humor, but I also think it's really... It can be a really funny book, and we talked about how there's a bit of sex in it. Um, what about the first line, too? Right. The first line. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's hilarious. Um, let's see. We'll tell everyone, so it's not like only we know secret. for the moment. Because yeah. the book just came out yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. But you mm-hmm. can get your coffee now. Mm-hmm. At Literati. At Literati. Or Literati. any of those so. fine local independent bookstores. And thank goodness Ann Arbor is still a book town. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. So this is the first line um, from book one. Uh, Punting the prairie dog into the library was a mistake. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. Nothing bleak. And, you know, don't be scared of this book. It won't make you too sad. It's fun. Yeah, the things that you're doing with language and fu- and storyline are yeah. are fun and also um, interesting how it's weaving throughout because the prairie dog image returns and like the like the last pages as well. So mm-hmm. it's um, yeah, the the prairie dog is as pretty much everything in this book is. It's an omen. <laughs> the characters are always trying to read the omens and interpret the omens, and things could be very bad omens but that's easy to say when you're living in like a near apocalyptic situation um but they're also looking out for there are some good omens too and so apocalyptic oh yeah what's your theory on this well i was saying before we got rolling here that you better not call this a post-apocalyptic book and Um, and i was frightened (laughs) yeah i threatened you (laughs) i was like whatever you do i will walk out of here um well the thing about uh well i mean for one we were probably all a little bit uh we've maybe had our fill of the post-apocalyptic genre and i say that as someone who has arguably written one of those books but I think it's also really an overused description and a lazily used description. A bit too convenient. Yeah, it is, right? So it's, it's um, well, you know, Catherine Schultz wrote this great piece in The New Yorker about earthquakes. And there's just this little, little glimmer. Oh, recently. Yeah. Oh. Just a terrifying piece, it's, right? Yeah, great. Yeah. yeah. There was no sex <laughs> I, in that earthquake piece. And I, I, but it, yet it was I, gripping and engaging. Yeah. Oh, it was throat. great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was this little glimmer of a moment in that where she, she really put her thumb on this this phenomenon that I've noticed for a while, which is that we, we like a post-apocalyptic stories are very popular right now. I mean, not just books, but films and, you know. And I think we like to pretend that we like the, that genre because we, we like to pretend that it's like us being honest or taking like a hard look at a, a hard truth. But actually, it's escapist. You know, it's I mean, if you, you look at Hollywood, if Hollywood is making a blockbuster about something, it's not the truth. It's not like an honest medium, the Hollywood blockbuster. Right. So um, I think that the reason 
it's escapist as we have there's a kind of um like a narcissism you know it's it's like a really extreme version of this fantasy that every generation has which is that they'll be the last generation right. and that you know in, in those stories it's always sort of um glamorous to have survived and you're at the end um i think you know and there's also a kind of a finger wagging that goes on in in the genre sometimes about like well, not only are, let me show you what's what we're all doing wrong and what we should stop doing, but also like you better read this book because it's your medicine. You better take your medicine and see what we're what we're doing and face it exactly. Yeah, yeah which I that's not really why I read. I mean, that's why I read like the nonfiction articles in right. the New Yorker yeah, about like earthquakes. earthquakes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was definitely uh-huh. some take your medicine. Right. Right. Exactly. But novels. Like fiction has another project and it does need to be honest and, but it's not medicine, you know? So I didn't want to write a, a, a medicine book and I didn't want it to be a, a preachy, preachy kind of yeah. book, even though I do care a lot about all of these, these things that are in there, but that wasn't the way I was approaching it, you know, talking about the environment or other things too, um, femininity and. There's a lot, there's violence in the exactly, book, yeah. violence against women, young mm-hmm. women, love. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, all of this, this kind of, um, but if I was going to take a, start my writing of a scene like that, and my, my project was to make you see that violence against women is bad, which of course it is. But if that was my project, I think that's just a, a quick way to write a, a bad. Boring. Exactly. Yeah. It's not, not, it, it, it ignores the mystery and the, you know, doesn't really invite the reader in to tell them what to think. I don't like to tell people what to think. So how do you keep it open when you're writing? Is it more like by staying close to something the character is doing mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. twi- twisting an arm or so? Yeah. Or? Well, I think it helps that I write about things that I, I don't really know anything about. Right. And so part of the project is to like make it seem like I know something about, you know, in that passage I read, maybe it makes it seem like I know something about desertification or what water, the way water policy works in our country. But honestly, I don't at all. You know, I'm I'm just sort of like a a dummy novelist, like making it up as I go along and doing some research and imagining and trying to be sensitive. The imagining mm -hmm. coupled with the research. Exactly. Right. And there's also kind of a like you have to implicate yourself a bit more than didacticism allows, right? Like if you're telling someone what to do, you're not a part of that equation. You're just, it's all going one direction. You're just like at the reader telling them, this is what you should think about this rather than having it go back on you and ask what yourself, you know, what do I think about this? Or I just find it a dishonest way to work. And you can always feel it when you're being, bossed around as a reader or you're being condescended to you know so um it does make these interviews a little bit tricky I just did one the other day that went really badly because it was like the guy was like you know what should we do about climate change and I'm like what (laughs) like what do you mean I can't fix climate change I have an MFA you know (laughs) what are you talking about uh, and so, you know, that's when you trot out that old saw that, that fiction writers, um, their job is to ask questions rather than answer them. It's, 
It's a good saw. Yeah, it's <laughs> one of my favorite saws. Let's take a short break. We'll sure. be right back. Okay. Today on Living Writers, Claire Bay Watkins is here. Her novel, Gold, Fame, Citrus. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. <laughs> I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Claire Vay Watkins is here. Gold, fame, citrus, the novel, just out with Riverhead Books. I love it. Thank you. It is a, it is a pretty stylish looking book, if I may say so myself. It is. It's completely stylish. Well, we are gazing at it now, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, get, you can pick up your own copy um, at the reading tonight, at the book launch itself. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. I'll sign it for you, too. Do you write like like um, like funny pictures? Not funny pictures, because you said do. you don't like to draw necessarily. Well, no, but. I I have developed a little um, like poor man's Kurt Vonnegut thing. You know, Vonnegut used to draw little self portraits in there, and every once in a while you'll see them somewhere. Anyway, I I had a little shtick that I did with my first book because I I could draw the shape of Nevada if I really concentrate. But um, <laughs> California is a trickier shape, so I've got to get my new my new poor man's Kurt Vonnegut thing going on. So now I just write six 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 Claire Watkins, you know, because it's uh, unique people. It's a conversation piece. They like to have it in their house. Oh, look what she wrote. You know, no, I don't write that, but I've always wanted to, or just something just <laughs> completely <laughs> obscene, you know. <laughs> we don't say it. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, I'm getting uh, signals from everybody in the room. Shut that line of conversation down. Okay. <laughs> um, no, you are brightening, brightening the day, Claire, that's for sure. Um, I wanted to also, before I forget, thank you for picking the songs for today. Oh yeah, these are these are kind of special a special group of songs, mm-hmm. right? These are the uh, this is from the the playlist I had when I was writing the book. Um, when I would kind of tap into that um, Regina Spector song we just heard, I always imagined that this the, well, you know, not in a literal way, but the statue imagery, you know, like we made us they made a statue of us. I always think of 
of Sacagawea and there's like statues of her everywhere, you know, and mm. how she's sort of like this um, forgotten figure in history. They like retired her coin. We don't have her coin anymore. Did they retire the coin? I think they Somehow did. Block yeah. that out of my memory. Mm-hmm. I think I remember that they did because uh, at the time I remember... Well, no, you know what? Maybe they, it was a Susan B. Anthony. Now I'm remembering. Okay, so, so it was a some Susan lady B. Anthony. had to retire. Yeah, the Susan B. Anthony <laughs> coin got retired, and then everybody kept saying, "Well, now there's no women. There's no woman on a coin. There's no woman at all." And, and everyone's like, "What about Sacagawea? Like she's still she's still got her. She has like a it's like a dollar. It's a dollar. It's coin. A dollar. That's why and it's no tricky. One's, no one's using them. Why yeah, are we? Not? I have them all." <laughs> Have you yeah. been hoarding them? Yeah, Claire because I, Watkins, mm-hmm. I'm starting my own uh-huh. coin hoarder. Yeah, huh. I also have another line. It's not strictly currency yet, but other prominent women, and I'm starting a a T Hetzel um, <laughs> penny. Sorry, I mean there's it's just a very but prominent. But is the penny gonna be outdated well, so yeah, soon? Maybe. Is it, are maybe. we gonna be afford I'm sorry, to actually? Mint yeah, it? That's why I've come here today, T, to tell you that your penny is is bust. Yeah, but, it's being retired. It never really made never it into circulation chance. either. Yeah, and also, I mean, you're a radio person, so the whole th- it's just a blank penny. There's nothing just on it. Just use your imagination, yeah. people. Just uh-huh. try to visualize it. Yeah, it was probably a doomed design from the beginning, but. But women need to be on, I mean, not to, yeah. we won't go down this tangent for long, but so sad. So like, who do you think you should, it should be? be. Right. Oh, and so definitely what? Princess Diana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm sorry. I think I stole that from the Daily Show, right? Or something. Or Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> right, right. So what's the deal now? It's like a woman is going to get to share the, the $10, $10 bill. bill. Yeah. What the what? It's. It's just, it's kind of, it makes it worse. It, it does make makes... it worse. Yeah. I mean, even Sacagawea is the only one with the dollar coin. So that is you know? something, right? Yeah. Because yeah. Kennedy's got the half dollar. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, we won't solve it today. Okay. But hopefully by airing some of this <laughs> out there yeah. over the radio Someone waves. Someone out there will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can just mint our own money. I already oh, no. have my vault. <laughs> you going. do have your vault. Yeah. Okay. It's an all all female currency. Anyway, I feel I'll... like it's Bitcoin related too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Who okay. is on the Bitcoin? What f- figure is I on actually the Bitcoin? I think Snowden is on it. <laughs> yeah, probably. But there you go. White man on the Bitcoin. Again. Mm-hmm. That's patriarchy for you, man. Yeah, ruffled hair. Yeah. <laughs> With his little glasses. <laughs> <laughs> we can't be against glasses. <laughs> I know, right? Well, yes, we like chunky glasses, not sl- slim glasses. That's right. <laughs> How are we going to, we got to get back to the, we, we got to get back to writing. We've got, what, okay. you know what? There is something. Um, All right. L- watch, w- ladies and gentlemen, while she makes this transition back to what her show is supposed to be about. This is why she gets paid the big bucks. Here it the, comes. The, <laughs> the big volunteer dollars coming at you. It's it's not going to be graceful, but it is something that I definitely want us to talk about and give more than ample time to the Mojave School. Oh, sure. Because this is something that you and your husband, Derek mm-hmm. Palacio, founded, and now you both direct. Mm-hmm. Can you just sure. tell, yeah, us, yeah, tell yeah. us the story of this place? Okay, so um, 
It's a workshop for teenagers um, in my hometown, which is Pahrump, Nevada. What a great name. Yeah, it's a little bit, you know, bodily function sounding, but it's like a bastardized version of the, of Paiute, of the Paiute language, the word for, it means water from the rock. Anyway, that's seriously mm -hmm. Right. Every, all the all everything's the names, connected. Every, right, right. Every place name in the Southwest basically means like either there's water here or there's no water here. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, because that's important stuff. Um, so anyway, yeah, um, for a few years after my first book got published, I was teaching, you know, teaching at university, but also teaching at um, this summer program, a really great one called the Swanee Young Writers Conference. Really wonderful place and I learned a lot about how much I liked working with teenagers but something was kind of always like nagging in the back of my mind which is basically that you know it costs like two thousand dollars to send your kid to one of the you know a, a program like that at a university and I would say every once in a while to Derek you know like no no one from my hometown would ever get to come here and I, I would never have gotten to come here and you know it's just one of those moments where like privilege and the lack thereof is kind of illuminated and it hurts you know especially around um making an art yeah right exactly yeah we do like to think of art making especially you know writing you don't need anything it's just paper and a, a pencil or so anyway um for so for a few years i would kind of bemoan this and how there wasn't anything really for the kids that were growing up in my hometown. And then, you know, Derek would sort of say, like, yeah, somebody should do something about that. And then it took me about a year to be like, oh, you're talking about me. <laughs> but the, so I said, all right, well, we'll try something, but you have to do it with me. And so, I mean, without... Because he's a writer, too. Yeah. Right? He's, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. he's a writer. Yeah, he's a great, great writer. He has a... Did you guys meet at the Ohio State? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Ohio State University. We did. In the mm -hmm. MFA program mm -hmm. there. Yeah, we both... We were an MFA romance. That's right. A great, not F FCC-appropriate story for another time. <laughs> After maybe. 10 p.m., yeah. you got to come back. Okay, all right. Late night. Yeah, and then I can read some of those racier sections exactly. of the novel, too. <laughs> whole, right? whole different show, folks. Yeah. <laughs> right. Please join us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, living writers up all night. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's really cool. We go out there for a week every summer and we just sort of, you know, do what we do with our college students. Um, and I mean, I do what it What are for, the ages? Like how adolescents, like how old, how young I mean, to how old? Like Really? I mean, we say like teenagers, but, uh, you know, we, we, we're not really in like a gatekeeping mode about it, right? Yeah. Like we just want to encourage people who are interested. And who comes? And how, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's kids, you know, teenagers. Um, young people and they're they're they've a lot of them have just been reading and writing on their own for a while or you know publishing stuff online or they have a blog or something but they didn't really know that writing and reading was like a job that you could have one day like they never met a real writer and I'd never met a real writer until I remember reading in college T.C. Boyle's bio in, from like an anthology and it said he teaches at the university of southern california and i was like teaches <laughs> like right now 
And I was He's like, alive. Exactly. I was like, hey. oh, everybody, this guy's alive. And just oh, a few miles, you know, a few right. hours away. Because you were at the University of Nevada then, uh-huh. Reno, That's hop right. in the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went to T.C. Boyle's house and he <laughs> became, yeah, exactly. He became my lover. No, I'm just, that, now I'm, see, That's fiction, right. people, yeah. fiction. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's going to be know. calling in momentarily. Yeah. He is. Uh, I know he's a fan. <laughs> he's I know a he's listener. A, an avid yeah, listener across, of the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. International listeners, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And he's also one of those like he's kind of a troll about it. He's <laughs> always calling you guys and correcting. And oh, you <laughs> pronounce this wrong. The Liz you know. is like, stop Liz, calling oh, here. Yeah. He got Liz's cell number. I heard. <laughs> Just DC. Take the hint. Well, Chorus on. Step off. Okay, there. And so are you are you doing these runs of the imagination with the kids at the Mojave School? Like, is this what you guys, do you kind of sit around and... Oh, yeah, like a lot of riffing. Or, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. Um, and the, the kids, you know, one thing that's really great about working at the Mojave School, um, it's it's like completely divorced from a university setting. And I love, I love my job teaching at the university, but you don't really realize if that's all you do, you don't really realize how much of the way you teach kind of presupposes that y- it, it's based on the fact that your students like give a crap about you and what you think of them. So a lot of what uh, being a professor is actually, you know, you know, sometimes it's easy because the students want to do well and they want to learn and you can it, that that. It, but, you know, you've got this like a little bit of leverage there, right? My students at the Mojave School do not care about me at all. Like they're not interested in what I think of them. They're kind of interested in what I think about their work, but they're really there for each other more so, I think, you know? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, you teach at some university in the East or whatever. But um, there's not it, – it, it's more about like – letting their voices be heard and um, telling their stories. And finally, you know, somebody goes into their community and says, like, I want to hear what you have to say. Tell me a story. And they're like, why would you want to hear about me and, like, my life? It's not New York City. You know, it's not Los Angeles. Like, why would you? And then I show them my book, and I'm like, well, somebody wanted to listen to me. I mean, I'm still kind of having trouble believing that myself. But if they wanted to listen to me, why wouldn't they want to listen to you, you know? And this is revolutionary, Claire. Well, it, and you're building writing communities there. I'm trying to, but you know, there's a definitely a ton of barriers, and I don't want to be like a Pollyanna about it. But I mean, even if, um, even if I'm being a really like hardcore realist about the impact we're making in the community, I would still do it because I get so much out of it. You know, like. I get to go back to the desert. I get to meet all these people that I never would, you know, come in contact with otherwise. And I hear their work and I'm reminded of like what it's like to be a teenager and feel things so intensely. And I mean, I, they have really incredible stories. So I love, I love doing it. I I basically do it for myself. (laughs) Oh, Claire Bay Watkins. (laughs) And her novel, Gold Fame Citrus, tonight, the book launch at Literati. Um, you've got Living Writers, I'm T.S. Hill. We're going to take a short break and be right back.
A girl named Kathy wants a little of my time. Six cylinders underneath the hood, crashing and kicking. Ah, listen to the engine whine. I am gonna make it through this year if it kills me. I am gonna make it through this year if it kills me. Welcome back. There's a little mantra for you from Living Writers and Claire V. Watkins. Thanks for picking the mountain goats, yeah. Claire. Yeah, and that guy's a novelist, too, by the way. Is he? Yeah. He had a novel come out last year. Crazy, you can imagine. Uh, just, like, bizarre. If you think my work is dark, read John Darnell's book. Um, it's wonderful. Called um, Wolf in White Van. Really great. In White Van? Yeah, Wolf no, in White Van. That's the number one abduction vehicle. I think that's what he's going for. Yeah. <laughs> he is a risk taker. <laughs> <laughs> and imagine if I had a wolf driving it. Yeah. So you see how dark it is. Have you seen the Ann Arbor um, wolf violinist yet? Yes. Okay. Yes. It, um, I had an early experience with him when I first moved here, and I knew that this was the place for me. How, yeah. how are you adjusting? I love it. I love it here. It's great. Um, There's not too much water, too. Well, there is a lot, quite a bit of water, uh, but it's it's okay. And my skin looks great, if I, you know, again, may say so myself. You'll have to trust me because it's radio, but yeah, I'm glowing. Looking great. Looking I'm, great. I have a glow about me. No, I, I yeah, I, I love it here. Um, although, you know, a part of me feels like a bit of a Judas because I did go to the Ohio State University and all my buddies are giving me endless crap for it are people calling you and just leaving the fight song on your mm -hmm. message yeah yeah I bet. yeah it's gonna but, but you yeah. know who is calling me a lot is harbaugh I bet. yeah jim harbaugh just for some advice yeah yeah well, are you a football fan you know khaki fan yes yes i'm a huge khaki fan of course i'm a huge fan of crouching over and watching something <laughs> i love to do that i do that a lot uh, I'm trying to wean myself off of football. I do love football, I have to admit, but I, I want to not love it anymore. So I'm trying to quit it. Because it's of like, the head injuries? Yeah. Well, yes. So the CTE thing plus, I mean, it's like whichever way you look. I mean, this is probably not the town to get into this, but I like, know. And it's the sports just, show is up next. So uh, we're just setting the, setting the okay, stage, yeah. gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's give them something to talk about then. Okay. So the head injury thing which is probably so much worse than we even know let alone vastly worse than we want to admit and then like it's um you know really like it's really violent and every every time you look somebody's doing something horrible to women and plus i think the athletes themselves are very likely being exploited and of course this is this position is not endorsed by the university of michigan <laughs> athletics exactly. department i want to stress but yes. so yeah that's why why jim harbaugh is calling me a lot he wants me to come back because i was a 49ers fan and then i had to i had to wean off because he's gone and anyway Ah, yeah. ah, but know. basketball, you like you oh, and yeah. Derek watch basketball. Huge. We're, he, we're huge so in the basketball. are you liking Beeline? Is Beeline calling you? Not yet. Not yet. Not okay, yet. well, let's, you know. It's, but I'm... They're uh, practicing. Um, the season's mm -hmm. right. around it's the corner. Right, it's preseason. Yeah. yeah, you know, and it's better that they focus. Got some good, exciting new players. Mm-hmm. 
right, we can we can <laughs> okay, socialize. But you know what? Okay. Let's get back okay. to gold fame citrus because right. today is the day. The book launch mm-hmm. in Ann Arbor, the novel. Um, when you like, what was an image that started this for you, Claire? Like when you, how did you know? Um, there was a story here mm, that was going to yeah. be longer than 40 pages. <laughs> well, um, have you ever seen Planet Earth, the documentary oh, yes. series? Yeah. Yes. So I am a humongous fan of Planet Earth. It's so soothing it's and so soothing. enlivening at the same time. Yes. <laughs> it just makes you happy to be alive, which I almost never feel. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so I was watching Planet Earth, the deserts episode when I was in Columbus going to grad school and I would do it when I was Just homesick. for a fix. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when I was, you know, a desert girl living in the Midwest, this is what you do. If there are any out there listening, this is how you survive. So go to the botanical gardens into the cactus room, which they have in Columbus. I don't know if we have one yes, here. Yes, the Matai Botanical okay. Gardens, yes. not far away. And there's a cactus room yes. there? Yes. yes. So you go there. They That's where the plant yes. that burst through the ceiling this year. Yes. 100 years old that or something. That is exactly or 83 years what old. I am in so the market go, for So when you would I go. go yeah. Okay. So I would go there and write. And if I couldn't make it to the botanical gardens, to the desert room, I would watch either Ken Burns' documentary, The West, or Planet Earth, Deserts. And that's how it gets gets me through the winter. So um, I was watching that one time, and I just had this really stupid idea, which was like, what if there was a sand dune that was bigger than Mount Everest? And it was such a, like, a stoner idea. And I wrote it down in my you notebook. You knew it was brilliant. Yeah, like all my ideas. Um, I knew it was completely brilliant and not at all stupid. Uh, and then for some, you know, I just, and then I had this, so th- that, that was going on that little project on the side. And then I was writing, you know, like a quote unquote serious novel about a couple and they were young and they were trying to figure out if they should have a kid or if they should, what they should do. And they were in an East Coast apartment or something, Exactly. Right? Yeah, they lived in, in suburban Ohio. Yeah. And it was just really, I guess it was kind of what I thought a novel was supposed to be and, you know, literary, whatever that means. Um, but I really, my, like, I, ha- I was having this affair with this sand dune and I would go back and re- work on that. And I never, I didn't tell anybody that that's what I was doing. And then finally I just like it was a secret then yeah it was Your a secret, secret project mm-hmm. exactly yeah yeah and then um I finally mashed those two together after about a year um and I said okay this couple um who is so boring and they've got nothing really interesting to do or say I'm gonna put them at the sand dune relocated yeah you guys now live at the base of this dune sea and what's what's gonna happen to you so it was a, a reverse evac yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it, it was um i think you know i always struggle with plot like i write all these things and it's just basically like long descriptions of like the geology of the area and the taste of the air and what the plants are like and how the mountain ranges were formed and then Usually, like, my husband is like, why don't you put some human beings in your story? And I'm like, oh, yeah. So um, once I got those two things together, like the place and the people, it was it was pretty much off to the races, as I remember it. And was it on the, at that sort of, 
magical moment <laughs> when this was fusing. Um, was the prairie dog there? Oh, you know, the prairie dog started out. Well, the prairie dog comes from a real thing that happened when my... Because um, you were talking about the styrofoam cup yeah, on the mm-hmm. cactus. Right, right. But yeah, so no. Well, what happened was I was, my niece had just been born and I was laying with her. She was a brand new newborn baby laying on the floor of my sister and brother-in-law's house in Oakland. And, um, you know, laying on a little blankie, being super cute. And then like um, nearby across the room is like a little doggy door. And um, oh, no. suddenly it opened up and it's night and we couldn't really see, but we heard it and we look and there's a raccoon and um, <laughs> it's like little scare, like creepy black raccoon hands are like kind of coming in. And, you know, the baby is like halfway between us, the adults and the raccoon. And my <laughs> brother-in-law who's a really tall, he's probably like 6'5", really lanky. He's a, 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 like a kung fu master, like the equivalent of a black belt in kung fu. He's oh. like a, an amazing so a martial artist. So a serious kicker. Exactly. <laughs> so he just stood up like with this like zen new dad purpose, and he took like two big strides across the kitchen, and then boom, punted <laughs> the raccoon through the door out. And they just got up and scrabbled away, and it was fine and stuff for all you animal lovers out there. It but was okay. Yeah, it was fine. Okay. <laughs> Stop calling TC yeah. Boyle. <laughs> TC, I know that was your pet raccoon from Santa up from Santa Barbara. But <sighs> sorry, Liz, you put, put put those in your TC file. <laughs> Claire, thank you so much for being on the program. Oh, my pleasure. This the time has gone too quickly. Mm-hmm. Indeed. <laughs> Come back anytime. Okay. You live here. I, I already moved For all my stuff sakes. in here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, tonight, Claire V. Watkins, um, you're heading over to Literati Bookstore mm-hmm. right now on Washington right now. Street. That's right. And fourth, um, Claire's novel, Gold, Fame, Citrus. It's out. Tonight's the launch. Everyone, you should go. I'm T. Hetzel. Thanks so much, Claire, for being on the show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time.
Takes the handoff to Smith, rolling to his right. Still looking for a receiver. Breaks through a tackle and he's got a seam. Down the sideline, touchdown Michigan. Gardner takes the shotgun snap, looks to his right and connects. Reaching for the end zone, touchdown Michigan. Amara Darba. Gardner takes the handoff to Smith, looking, firing. Jake Buck, one-handed catch. He caught it! Unbelievable catch! All right, happy Wednesday, happy Wolverine Wednesday uh, here with the Daily Sports Report, WCBN-FM 88.3 on the dial. Uh, I'm Zach Shaw, welcome to another show. We've got Brett Graham, Dalton Pataki, and we're talking Michigan sports. Good to have you guys on the show. Uh, we'll start with the most prominent Michigan sport. That would be Michigan football. Uh, Michigan, they had a big win against number 22 BYU. They won 31-0. I think that's pretty well known now. Uh, the talk of the town has become much more positive around Michigan football than this time last year. Uh, Michigan entered the rankings for the first time since November 2nd, 2013. Uh, just recently this week, they're now at number 22. And... Things are looking good. It looks like they've, they're playing a pretty good team to play if they have momentum. And that They're traveling to College Park, Maryland, we think. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, where they'll play the Maryland Terrapins. Maryland Terrapins. Easy to have the word terrible in there. It sounds similar. They, they did not do well against oh, West good Virginia. One. Yeah, I, 